Hey folks, and welcome back to Return to the Telepodcast. Uh, so this is going to be kind of a special bonus episode. It's uh, officially October, well, tomorrow at the time of recording. But um, when this goes live, it will officially be October. In exactly four hours and 32 minutes. Uh, that is correct. Actually, no, I think your math is wrong. I think My it's three hours and 32. I can't do math, okay? <laughs> no, no, I, I, whatever. Anyway, I, I, I think I'm wrong. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so basically we wanted to do just like a brief episode that was sort of, uh, you know, just talking about things we don't usually get to talk about in the podcast and recommending sort of fun Halloween-y things for this month. Yes. Did I explain that better when I pitched it to you, Kevin? I mean, I feel like I kind of got it. Like Halloween-y to me means like not necessarily scary, not necessarily spooky. But, like, something in that nebulous zone. So, um, we, we basically split up the, the different things we, uh, the different parts of our list. So we have things to read, things to watch, things to play, and things to listen to. Yes. What, um, what category do you want to start with? Uh, we can start with things to watch, since this is a film podcast. Yeah. Nice transition into everything else. Cool. Well, then yeah. I'll, uh, I'll start us off. Yeah. Um, so I love what we do in the shadows. Have yes. you seen that? Yes, it's amazing. I love it so much. It's so good. Um, my, my sister and her husband are not, they're not horror fans, but uh, every year on Halloween they watch it. Um, so for, for folks who haven't seen it, it's a mockumentary uh, from New Zealand. It's written and directed by Jermaine Clement and Taika Waititi. Uh, and it's just about a group of vampires who are roommates in modern day New Zealand. And it's absolutely fucking hilarious. Yeah. I never thought I would, uh, really enjoy a vampire movie set in New Zealand with like a really like subtextual sort of, at least I understand it, like homosocial relationships amongst the vampires, but it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, I think it's really sweet, but it also has some absurd moments of just like total splatter and yeah, it's a blast. It is. I love it so much. Yeah. What do you want to hit us with first, Kevin? All right. So I'm going to hit you hard mm. as I normally do. Uh, the first film that I recommend is because it's a really, really good fucking film uh, is Begotten. It's an experimental like, I don't really know how to describe it. It's kind of like an experimental, like, origin creation myth in film form. It's extremely graphic. It's very lo-fi. It's incredibly visceral. Like, there's, like, organs being shown and, like, people eating organs and, like, what do you call that? Not seppuku. Like, the not-Japanese term for that. Just, like, Someone ripping their stomach open. Uh, like self-disembowelment, maybe? Yeah, that's the term. Yeah. Like someone just disemboweling themselves. Uh, it's amazing. I love it so much. It's super lo-fi. Uh, so, like, you can kind of not tell. Everything's, like, kind of just, like, white shapes in a black background. And it's so cool. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it fucks you up. Because it's, like, really dark and it feels cursed. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it, it. I've only seen. I've seen like ten minutes of it. Um, but it, it feels like a weird tape you found in somebody's basement or something. Pretty much, yeah. 
pretty much. Also, it's directed by uh, Edmund Elias Merhage. I almost forgot to mention that person. That uh, was made in 89, which is odd. I, I assumed it was made a lot more recently just because it's so, like... It's so aesthetic to, like, what, like, mid-2010, like, witch sort of vibes, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a weird mix of, like, the lo-fi-ness, I think, makes it almost ageless. Yeah. Uh, so the next thing that I had on my list, um, maybe something kind of similar, it's sort of a double feature. Um, so Mad God and The Wolf House. Mm-hmm. Um the two stop motion films they're I wouldn't strictly describe either as horror but they're both kind of horror adjacent I guess I'd say the wolf house is horror yeah so yeah so the wolf house uh, I believe the film was made in Argentina um, and it's sort of a, a little red riding hood almost like a dark uh, fairy tale but mm-hmm. it's all done in stop motion animation and it's just visually stunning I, I had never seen anything like it it's amazing yeah, no, it's it's excellent. Um, and Mad God is sort of similar. It's another feature-length stop-motion film, uh, currently on Shudder, uh, as I recall. Uh, and I forget the name of the director, but he's been working on it on and off for like 30 years or something. Uh, and it's just visually bonkers. It's the kind of thing I think would be really cool to like put on in the background while you're like doing some other form of art, because it's just so imaginative and so crazy. Yeah, I need to look that up. It sounds cool. My other film is a classic, Eraserhead, uh, 1977, uh, David Lynch film. I believe it's like his first feature-length film. I might be wrong about that, though, but I think that is. That sounds right to me, but I, well, I, what do I know? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, it's a little bit hard to explain the plot because it's kind of, again, very experimental. It kind of goes all over the place, but it's essentially like about a dude... Uh, having a child with his, like, wife and weird things ensue. Uh, that's really all I can describe it as. Uh, it's super, like, deeply conceptual. Uh, the visuals are, like, disgusting, uh, but also really, really cool. It's kind of amazing how much David Lynch can do in... Like, I think he was, like, a film student at the time, too, so he was, like, on a fairly limited budget. Uh, but it's just... It's so cool, and it's, uh... I'd say like a classic of experimental horror for good reason. I, uh, I'm going to pretend that I'm confessing this for the first time live on the show, but Kevin, I have not seen Eraserhead. I hate you. Yeah, I, I know that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have it on Blu-ray if you want to see it right now. Uh, well, I'll consider. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, for my last kind of watching recommendation... Um, Ah, fuck it. I'm going to do another double feature. Um, So I'm a huge X-Files fan and a huge Twin Peaks fan. Um, And I think, you know, this is absolutely the season for both. Um, With the X-Files, there's a decent amount of episodes that, you know, you can watch very standalone. Uh, And so there's one, it's maybe like season three, two or three, uh, called Clyde Bruckman's Final Repose. That's a great kind of like horror thriller episode that you can enjoy without having seen any other X-Files. And I super recommend it. Actually, I've also not seen any X-Files. It's, uh, God, I I grew up on it. I used to fall asleep with like my parents watching it downstairs when I was a kid. And I'd hear the like, somebody always dies in the kind of cold open section. And then so you hear like somebody screaming and then Mm -hmm. they're like, da-da-da-da. Uh, and the X-Files theme starts playing. Everyone knows the X-Files theme. Yeah, it's one of the first things I learned uh, on guitar, too. (laughs) 
How do you play that on guitar? Uh, it's all harmonics. It's oh, actually really easy. That yeah. makes sense. Since we're both uh, students in the English department, we sure are. Um, so they tell me. I think. What um what kind of reading material did you think of? So, I picked a nonfiction book. Uh, it's called Wisconsin Death Trip by Michael Lessie, uh, and I picked it both because like I'm a Wisconsinite, so like it really, like. I gravitated towards it a lot, and it kind of hit me pretty hard. Um, but also just because, like, it's a legitimately, like, creepy and experimental, almost, like... It's it's not really, like, a, a, a cohesive story or anything. It's more like a collection of, like, documents, historical documents, historical pictures, um, news articles and stuff like that, of just strange and creepy things um, and, like actual hardships that people had to face in Wisconsin during the turn of the century. Um, like, I remember some of those things are, like, babies dying and, like, announcements of funerals for people uh, or announcements of, like, odd crimes that might have happened because someone had, like, a mental breakdown or something. Um, and, yeah, it, it it's just really, like, showing how really rough it was like during the turn of the century in rural Wisconsin especially uh it's a great great read it's super creepy uh, a lot of the pictures and visuals are like very like Victorian turn of the century sort of like uh if you've seen like death photography kind of that which is cool. kind of cool yeah yeah, I mean, it feels almost like like, like a found footage book, yeah, almost, or like kind of like a collage style. Pretty much, yeah, it's a collage. Sweet, yeah. I um, I wanted to recommend. So there's a comic uh, called Infidel. I believe it's from Image Comics, um, and I'm gonna absolutely butcher the name of the author. Uh, so I apologize, but it's uh, so the the author's name is Pornzak uh, Pishichot, Pishichota, maybe. Um, oh, but it's it's a ghost story taking place in modern uh, New York, um, and it's all about xenophobia and racism, uh, and so it's it's very much dealing with contemporary social issues. Um, but it's also just a really good horror story, and visually, it's really really cool. Nice. Who's it by again? I'm not going to say it again. <laughs> I, I feel bad because it really is. It's phenomenal. Uh, and his name is really difficult to say and also includes the word porn, which makes it somehow even more difficult. That makes me want to read it more. Yeah, no, I mean, I'll, I'll lend it to you. It's awesome. Thank you, I try. Um, the other two recommendations I have are kind of like pretty much classics. Or at least for most people, it's classics. Uh, but they've kind of stuck with me. Phantom Rickshaw, read by Rudyard Kipling. Super, super great short story. Um, pretty much about... Both how awful it was for women uh, in, what is it, like, late 1800s, early 1900s, um, kind of, like, trying to, like, form relationships with men, and also colonialism of India, um, kind of at the same time. Interesting. I haven't read that one. It's, it's really good. Uh, it takes place in, I don't remember exactly where in India, but uh, it, it's in India during the British Raj. Uh, it's about, like, a woman trying to, like make a man love her. There's a lot of themes 
kind of like layered like an onion mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. that. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, uh, my next recommendation, um, is we've always lived in the castle, uh, which is by Shirley Jackson. Uh, she wrote, um, the haunting of Hill house, uh, which is amazing. And I would double that recommendation. Uh, and she also has a really like pretty widely read short story. Um, the lottery, um, the lottery. Okay. That actually sounds familiar. I might've read it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so Shirley Jackson um, has wrote a lot of kind of like gothic, sort of like somewhat horror-y stuff in her life. Um, so yeah, so she's known for the the lottery is like really broadly, really widely read in Haunting of Hill House. Um, but her, I believe the last novel she wrote in her life is called uh, We've Always Lived in the Castle. And it's this really sweet kind of gothic story about these two sisters living in like the burnt out husk of the home where they grew up. Um, and it's like, it's a little bit creepy. It's got a little bit of kind of romance to it. Um, it's just a really wonderful book. It's one of my all time favorite novels. I think I've read, um, like you, like you said, what was that short story? That you had? The Lottery. The Lottery. Yeah. It sounds super familiar. I think I read it before, but I'm probably, I probably didn't. I'm just misremembering. No, I, it's, it's a, the, the short story is also just like worth reading. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say more than anything else, um, We've Always Lived in the Castle, I think, captures both kind of, like, the gothicness of Halloween, but also, like, the sweetness of Halloween for me. Mm. Um, and, I, and I think it's, like, part of what I love about the holiday is that it's both, like, yeah, let's get into creepy stuff, but also I think there's something really sweet about how we, uh, you know, how communities, like, give out candy to kids and stuff. I think there's something really adorable about that. My family always went to rich people neighborhoods. Yeah, mine too. <laughs> <laughs> always gave out the best candy. Uh, my last uh, literature recommendation... Uh, is fairly broad, uh, just l- literally just the writing of Emily Dickinson, <laughs> just all of it is incredibly dark, <laughs> but I love it. Um, some standout poems that I really loved by her is, uh, I felt a funeral in my brain, um, and because I could not stop for death, it kindly stopped for me. Everyone fucking knows that one. It's really, really good. Right, because you can put it to the Pokemon theme. Exactly. You can put most of her poems to the Pokemon theme. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Almost all of them are in common time. Because common I could time. not stop, stop for, for death, death. it kindly stopped for me. Ba, 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 ba. Something, something, the both of us, and something, something. To train them is my cause. Dickinson. It's yeah. you and me. <laughs> her writing is um. To get back on topic, yeah. her writing is <laughs> very indicative of like what life was like. Again, kind of like what was like eighteen late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, um, like upper class like America, kind of what life was like for like women who were kind of out of the norm. Because she was very like she was extremely reclusive and almost certainly bisexual um and yeah it 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 very much talks about her or her poems very much talk about her obsession with death her fascination with it um and kind of not how she like shies away from it she's kind of just embracing death like looking it right in the face which makes sense because like her life was filled with like a lot of death and a lot of tragedy so yeah, you know, it's interesting, I think, actually putting Shirley Jackson side by side there. Because mm-hmm. um, she was also famously reclusive and struggled with um, 
agoraphobia in like the latter half of her life. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, both kind of maybe like women outside of their time. Yeah. I think if I remember right, Emily Dickinson only got one poem published uh, while she was alive, and it was a poem that was heavily edited uh, by the person who was like publishing it, uh, and extremely not in her style. It was much more like bright and happy. Yeah, more of a like I want to be the very best, like, like no, no one, one ever, ever was. was. She actually yeah. wrote that. Yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah. yeah. How about video games? Yes. What um what are your go-to kind of creepy games? So I try to like think of video games that are like more indie, more like in my wheelhouse of like weird, experimental, but still creepy. Mm-hmm. The first one that I have is Yume Nikki, which like if you're into like I don't know what you call that genre, like point not point click, uh like uh eight bit like almost earthbound remakes uh that's a big one uh it's hard to describe exactly what the plot is because there isn't much of a plot it's really you controlling a female character uh around rooms that are supposed to represent her very surrealist dreams cool so you go into like rooms you see weird freaky creatures and you're kind of just admiring them and then you leave and you go in a different room and the same thing happens it's very very surreal uh it's very creepy really is how I would describe it. Cool. Yeah. It's all an 8-bit, too, which is, in my opinion, the best bit. So it's, like, kind of, like, old-school RPG style, but doing that in, like, a horror-y kind of way or, like, a dark, surreal kind of way? Right, yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Cool. I believe it was made in RPG Maker, too, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I'll uh, I'll stick with the indie uh, focus for a minute. Um, We actually were playing this together the other day. Limbo. Um, so for folks who don't know, Limbo, I believe it was solo developed, uh, and it's like a puzzle platformer, uh, and I think it's kind of a masterpiece of just wordless storytelling. You know, you just move through an environment, it's, um, it's all black and white and fairly simple visuals, uh, and you just jump around and solve puzzles and stuff, but it has this deep underlying creepiness, um, and the, the, the ways that it sort of plays with encounters where rather than being chased by something you have to continually run towards the thing that's threatening you um i think it's really good creepy design that yeah it's really hard to find elsewhere yeah it's really good i enjoyed it a lot the other recommendation that i have is another like kind of experimental indie game uh who's lila uh which is a point and click uh sort of detective uh video game uh, the fun twist of it is that, like, you're playing, uh, pretty much a student who is deeply sociopathic. Maybe, yeah, sociopathic, I guess, would be the correct term. He can't portray any emotions. Uh, he doesn't really feel remorse. He doesn't really feel empathy towards people. Um, but he's not the killer. Like, he's trying to figure out who the killer is that killed, uh, this student. Uh, and just kind of going through all that, playing as this person, you're literally like controlling both his facial expression, like you're literally like pointing at his face and then just like making the correct facial expressions. Whoa, interesting, yeah. Yeah. Making the correct facial expressions to convey what you should be feeling, and you're also like choosing the correct responses to convey what should be said 
uh, in like when people are talking to you. Because like the character that you have doesn't know like yeah what you should be feeling or expressing. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of that uh, TV show End of the Fucking World. Mm. Um, yeah, just things about sociopaths, but where they're not necessarily bad guys. Yeah, and it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I um, my other game recommendation is I mean it's pretty basic, but uh, Resident Evil Four been ported to every game device basically ever yes uh but it's amazing i've uh i've played through it a couple times i just think it's a total blast and it's i don't know i don't know if anybody needs to like pitch resident evil 4 all that much <laughs> play resident evil 4 it's a classic for a reason though uh and i think it's a great kind of like halloween sort of thing because it you know it does have um some pretty like harrowing moments but like by and large, it's like a lot of just getting chased around by a guy with a chainsaw and mowing down waves of evil monks and stuff. Like, it just is a lot of fun and, like, a pretty good, like, almost not relaxing horror, because yeah. it does get tense, but it's it's a good, like, blowing off steam horror, maybe. I've actually never played any of the Resident Evil games. Four is the best, I think. I mean, I, I would assume, yeah. All I remember is uh, Resident Evil 1 had the terrible voice acting that I absolutely enjoy. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Totally. You know, I have one more recommendation, mm. uh, and this is really not horror at all, and, like, not necessarily even creepy, um, but there's a game, you can find it on Steam, called Her Story, uh, and it's, it's the, maybe, like, the least gamey video game that I've ever played. Uh, mm. It's basically, uh, so it's essentially an FMG, FMV game, so full motion video, so you have these clips that have been filmed of a woman, um, talking kind of in the wake of a crime but they're all out of order and they're all really short and so you have to essentially figure out what happened by using search terms based on what she said to try and find clips tagged based on that and it's this phenomenal I mean just really well written, really well acted uh, and the story, the mystery itself is really clever and really interesting and so I think it's a fun, I guess maybe it's not like a true story but the like kind of the person, whatever inside of you enjoys true crime stories I think you feel like you're doing this kind of investigative process, and it does a really good job of that. Nice. Yeah, I've heard of her story many times before. I've never played it, though. It's it's amazing. Anytime it goes on sale, like, I've seen it for, like, $2 on Steam a couple times, and I have this need to just buy it for everyone I know, and I never do. <laughs> but it's... Buy it for me, Bryce. It's one of the coolest, like, video game experiences I think I've ever had. Yeah. The only, uh, whatever the fuck you call it, like, video video game things that I know is that like one Night Stalker video game that got like Sega really like fucked over by the US government. Oh uh, Night Trap. Night yeah. Trap, that's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, this is this is very different. I think it's the only time I've ever seen like full motion video uh in a game like really working. Mm -hmm. Um and it's I think because the whole game is structured to feel as little like a video game as possible. It's fascinating. Cool. Well, I think that just leaves things to listen to. Yes. I have things that you should listen to. Um, so, I, I think when I was thinking, like, Halloween, what is the most, like, Halloween thing I can think of that's not the Monster Mash? That, like, I legitimately enjoy. Is it Dead Man's Party by Oingo Boingo? 
I have no idea what that is, but I know who it's won't go It's a dead man's body, who could ask for more? I've literally never heard that before. <laughs> uh, listeners, I don't know what to do with that. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, okay, okay, so, okay, but, uh, I'm sorry, go on, I interrupted. Yeah. <laughs> um, just, uh, I- I'm just recommending, like, uh, the entirety of Salem, which is like a witch hop band, um, but specifically uh, the album King Knight, really, really good album. And I just found out that it came out with uh, an album in 2020, which I mean, didn't just come out, it was like two years ago, but it's news to me, uh, Fires in Heaven. Uh, but I like them a lot. They're very... Um, when you think of like the witch hop like micro genre of like... It's pretty much just a micro genre of trap music, but it's very much like Salem is kind of the quintessential band with the quintessential sound of that or group or whatever, and the quintessential name as well. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, they heavily, heavily like sample like spooky sounds and odd like sort of found sounds almost, um, and they're really, really clearly like inspired by like obviously trap music but also southern hip-hop and goth rock cool so they have like all these creepy sounds they have all these like witchy chants going on and synths that are like heavenly and hellish at the same time and then you have this like weird just sample of like a car crash cool yeah yeah and this like dude with a really low voice just like rapping that you can barely understand cool yeah, I'll stick with the hip-hop theme. Um, so I wanted to recommend uh, there existed an Addiction to Blood, the Clipping record. Have you listened to Clipping? I haven't, actually, no. Oh, they're awesome. It's uh, David Diggs, who uh, I think he was in Hamilton, and he's also been in a bunch of uh, or some different movies and TV shows now. I think he's in the new Snowpiercer show. Uh, but they're like an experimental hip-hop trio. But uh, there existed a, an Addiction to Blood, and actually the, the record that followed it as well, Visions of Bodies Being Burned, are both super influenced by horror film. Uh, and they're, they're both a blast. Uh, Blood I've listened to a little bit more. Uh, but just really good hip-hop with kind of, yeah, like both tonally it has sort of a horror aspect, but then lyrically as well it's kind of like drawing on horror movies. Um, really good record. Nice. Otherwise, I feel like I have to like talk around like, so obviously the, the Misfits. Obviously um, the Misfits, most Halloween band of all time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they literally have a song called Halloween. Yeah. Oh yeah, which is a classic. It is a classic. Yes. Um, uh, literally any post-punk band. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Joy Division is like a super kind of Halloweeny sound. They are. Joy Division, Bauhaus, um, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, oh, yeah, the Nick Birthday Cave Party, and the Cure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just all of those. Early My Bloody Valentine as well. Yeah. Although their later stuff's a lot better, but whatever. Yeah. No, totally. Totally. Um, A little bit, maybe a little bit more off the wall, but a record that I know both of you love, both you and I love. Mm -hmm. Um, It's called uh, Everywhere at the End of Time by The Caretaker. Uh, And it's, yeah, it's essentially, it's a jazz. uh, Record's even the wrong word. I think if you buy the actual thing, it comes on like four vinyls or something. Like, I think like seven, actually. But yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's a full album album. Uh, But it's kind of dealing with dementia and the loss of memory all through jazz that gradually becomes more and more sort of grayed out by by noise Mm -hmm. and spaced out. And there's something really haunting about it. There is, yeah. Yeah, and the titles of the tracks themselves kind of tell a story of like someone going through dementia and the titles of the um 
the albums themselves and the pictures of the albums themselves kind of do the same thing as well. So like you go from like the first song, which is like happy memories, happy times, just remembering things that happened in the past, up until like the last thing where it's like you can't even remember that you had dementia to begin with. And it's like horrifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just I, I think musically, right? It's it, it's very like fun and jaunty, and like I could hear it playing in the back of a horror movie, yeah. right? Like an old school ghost story or something. It's very like The Shining, sort of. In the, yeah, it's it's kind of that sort of environment almost. Yeah, and it just sort of gradually devolves and decays over the course of like a long time, and oh. so it's a really good like background music to like set on and sort of like do your day and you'll slowly feel you know the, it kind of descending into more and more noise uh so yeah that's everywhere at the end of time by the caretaker it's a beautiful record it is so good uh listen to it when you're in a good headspace because it will depress you a lot yeah and i think it's it's surprising how how emotional it feels at least for me uh, mm-hmm. over time it's slowly kind of uh you, I, I start to feel it more and more as, oh, yeah. as it kind of comes apart yeah i do too it's painful <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah sort of similar to that just the last album that i wanted to put out just also kind of not halloweeny but it is horrific at least in my opinion uh paul steeman by Mersbo is a a hard noise album like the second you put it on you're kind of just inundated with just waves of static and it's super super strong how hard it hits you um and it goes through that for like what 30 45 minutes something like that with like intervals of like quietness and then loudness again different sort of sounds coming in but it's all just like sounds like pulsating hence i guess the name of the album (laughs) yeah sounds pulsating over and over and over it feels very i've heard for some people it feels extremely overwhelming um kind of like a sensory overload almost for me it almost feels like meditative yeah it's almost like having a like a white noise machine but like a white noise machine that is like what would you call that like musical yeah, it's like being attacked by a white noise machine. Pretty much, yeah. Wrestling a white noise machine. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, I'm just going to casually, shamelessly self-promote for a moment. Do it. Um, but if you like the music that plays in our episodes that's from my project, My Silent Machine, which I do with my dear friend Liam, uh, and you can find our music on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Music, what have you. Uh, and we have some very like kind of trip-hoppy stuff that's really influenced by people like Tricky. Um, so I, I think some of our stuff is maybe like a little bit creepy. Yeah, I've heard it. It's fairly creepy. Yeah. So, you know, uh, that's us. Uh, <laughs> cool. Um, I mean, that's about all that I've got. Yeah, that's pretty much all I got too. Not to end on me shamelessly <laughs> plugging my other projects. Please end on me shamelessly plugging in your projects. It's what this is for. Yeah. Um, oh, you know, the one last thing that I know we both love, hmm. Troll 2. I fucking love Troll 2 so much. How um, how would you describe it to someone who's maybe never seen it before? A clusterfuck of a movie that's amazing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for, for anyone who hasn't seen it, Troll 2 is... I believe it was written and directed by an Italian couple who did not speak good English. Um, it shows. And yeah, you can really feel it in the script. It's uh, just hilariously god-awful B-movie. Yes. Um, it's also not a sequel despite its title... It's called Troll 2 in order to, like, cash off of, like, another 
B-movie that came out before, <laughs> Troll, but it has literally nothing to do with it. Yeah, yeah, it is, it's deliciously bad in the same way that something like The Room is just so awful that it comes around to being just incredible. It's so good. I love it so much. Yeah. Cool. Well, folks, have a wonderful October and happy, I guess, Halloween season? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know. It's like, it's a ways before Halloween, but thank you for listening. Yeah. I wanna be the very best, like no one ever was. You know that in Japan they had a completely different theme song? No, I didn't. They did? Yeah. It's because they don't have Emily Dickinson in Japan. That's true.